Hey everybody, I hope you're doing well. Thanks for tuning into The Node. I'm really excited about the episode we have today. This episode is a talk with Kelly Chunning. Kelly is an interdisciplinary artist who specialized in photography um, while getting her Bachelor's of Fine Arts degree at Southern Utah University. Kelly's work, as you'll hear throughout the interview, is largely motivated by her personal journey growing up as a woman and thinking about what it means to be a woman in both a personal and cultural context. I think this conversation also serves as a good example of a healthy conversation about a hard subject in a time where we're talked about as being so polarized. While that might be true in some cases, I do think that conversations about the harder subjects, such as feminism, politics, or religion, or whatever it is that you know, might be a harder dinner table conversation, I think that those conversations can be had. And I think that a lot of us are having them. And so I guess I would just put that out there as food for thought, especially as you're barraged by political and divisive messages throughout the day, month, year. I think there is the positive thread that we can have these conversations. Anyway, I would highly recommend checking out Kelly's work on her website or her Instagram, looking at her work as well as some of the work that we mentioned by others in the podcast would serve as a really good visual aid throughout the course of the conversation. I'll put links to her website, Instagram, as well as links to the other works we talked about in the episode notes. So this episode will be the first where we dip our toes into the waters of establishing a sponsorship relationship. I'm going to try something which I first saw on Eric Weinstein's podcast, The Portal, which if you don't listen to already, I highly recommend. This strategy, simply put, is supporting a product or business that isn't a sponsor in the hopes that if our support from the podcast helps them out, um, that that support might find its way back to the podcast sometime in the future. So today I want to bring attention to Cowboy Roasting Co., Cowboy Roasting Co. is a small batch coffee roasting company in Eureka, Montana that has a commitment to sustainably source coffee and to supporting other local businesses. I had the pleasure of running into and talking with Gary Henderson, who's the roaster, the business owner, also a filmmaker, a really interesting person that I'd like to have on the podcast eventually. Anyway, I had the pleasure of running into Gary and ended up coming home with a delicious bag of coffee that before being roasted in front of me uh, was aged for six months in a wine barrel which is very unique Um, gary's experimenting with a lot of different ways of bringing out the flavors in coffee so if you're a coffee lover and would like to support small business without breaking the bank while knowing that the gourmet coffee you're drinking was ethically sourced you can check out Cowboy Roasting at cowboyroastingco.com. I'll put that link in the episode notes. And I have been drinking that coffee, and it's delicious. So I would recommend it. If you do end up ordering some coffee, if you let Gary know that you were sent by the Node or by Stephen, that would be appreciated. All right, let's get to it. Don't forget to check out Kelly's work, which you can find in the episode notes. Don't forget to share the love by subscribing to the podcast, rating, reviewing, sharing this podcast with friends, donating in the tip jar. Whatever small act of kindness you can do for the podcast would be greatly appreciated. All right, I bring you Kelly Chunning.
Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Where should we start? I think maybe you could just tell us a little bit about your art, some of the art you've put out most recently. <clears throat> okay. Um, well, I am an interdisciplinary artist. Mm-hmm. I started out as a photographic artist. Um, I have moved into more sculpture, 3D work. Right now I'm working with wool in particular, and I'm making felt sculpture sort of it's really hard to explain Mm -hmm. um because i don't know what it is (laughs) that's never really like happened to me before so i'm really the type of person who i like visualize an idea and i do a lot of writing and then that writing turns into a project Mm -hmm. and then right now out of school and then out of real like contact with the world i'm like i was in a spot where I didn't know what I was doing, but I just knew that I had these things that I was writing down in my notebook, i.e. my iPhone notes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I had collected all these phrases throughout my life since I've had a phone, I guess, even before that, and I really wanted to do something with them, and then I had taken a class my last semester of my undergrad, and we discovered felting in that class it was a very like spontaneous thing Mm -hmm. and um I just took the class for fun because I I, well I needed credits like so many other students and I was like I really want to do more sculpture and so I took that class and um I was doing uh, I was felting on like canvases Uh essentially not like actual canvases but like foam boards so I was making material out of a 3d it was like a 3D tactile material, and then I was putting it on a two-dimensional surface. So were you, like, poking the wool yes. with a needle onto the So it's the called needle felting. Okay. And um, that has led me to, like, what I'm doing right now. And so I'm, with those phrases, I'm felting those onto boards, like foam boards. Okay. What kind of phrases are they? So um, one of them is, you were pretty once. That was the first phrase that I felted. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you are or you were? You were pretty you were once. Pr- okay. It was something a family member said to me. Okay. <laughs> and um, so I did that one. And then I started looking through like that notebook and started like con- collecting different phrases that I was just feeling like more passionate about than like usual. So then mm-hmm. l- the next one I did was like, ah, did you spank him? Which is what my um, boss told me last summer. Uh, what is the <laughs> context of this? Uh, like this, my coworker was late and I, we were like the only two people working and mm-hmm. my boss came in and he was like, oh, did you spank him? You know, for being late. And I, I just looked at him and was like, God, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like that's so inappropriate so it like turned into this thing you know i ended up quitting because comments like that were ensuing yeah. like all the time and so and like uh, another one that i'm doing is like but can she still have children which is a phrase a woman said to me at church when they found out i had a tumor on my left ovary wait they said that to you or someone standing next so well they said it to my mom i was like right there and i was talking to her and like then she referred to my mom in the middle of talking me and talking to her yeah so like she couldn't even ask me the question she had to ask my mom which i was like over 18 at the time and i was like 
this is weird. And so she just looked at my mom. She's like, but can she still have children? And I was just like completely like baffled by the fact that like for one, she couldn't like address me with that question. Right. But two, like, why does that even matter? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have cancer. Like, I'm in the clear. Just FYI. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, I'm just, I have to get an ovary removed. Right. Which, that happens. So. Yeah, that sounds like a process. Yeah, it was really weird. Um, So, you have what it sounds like is an underlying theme of kind of what the fuck moments of these phrases you're picking up. Uh Uh-huh, I would say so. They're like... Um, some of them are thoughts that I have like about myself and then others are like things that people have said to me. Like I had this guy on Instagram message me cause I have a, an open Instagram account mm-hmm. and he said, would a feminist kick a guy in the nuts? <laughs> <laughs> so what's the answer though? It depends. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, at the time, I was just so like taken back by it. But I was, I was like, so like kind of offended. I was like, what the fuck? Like, mm-hmm. this is really random. And I don't know how I'm supposed to take that. Yeah. Like in a positive way or a negative way. And so like, that's going to be one of the phrases that I felt too. So. Okay. They just kind of stand out. Do they have a common theme? Like, do you have lists with a common theme on um, them or are they just... I would say, like, it's rhetoric surrounding, like, women. Mm. Uh, Like, it's interesting how the dialogue changes when you talk to a woman or when you refer to a woman. Mm -hmm. And, like, being here in Montana in particular, like, I moved here from Utah. Mm -hmm. um, I've, like, discovered, like, a rhetoric around women that I haven't discovered before. Um, Interesting. Like, I'm from conservative Utah, and so people are super polite there and they don't talk about things you know like that and they don't make comments like that are like really offensive to women Mm -hmm. and then I come here and people will say it in their conversations I know this is like I don't want to I'm like generalizing I guess but like from my experience Mm -hmm. this is like what I've experienced living here with the people and well it's just like those peculiar (laughs) moments that you're picking out and so I've like I was experiencing those here and they were on my mind a lot and I was having like a really hard time like processing that because I want to say something, you Mm -hmm. know, but then it's like this is that's how these people like lived like that's how they were raised and they're going to be like, what the fuck? Who are you to like tell me that I'm like I'm wrong for saying something? So it's like a weird like uh, I have a weird connection with it because i'm like i'm not from here like do i even have a voice to say something to these people but then i'm like i'm a woman and i'm fucking offended by some things you say so Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna say things and yes i've gotten like heat for saying certain things like back but it's just like a very odd like time and place in my life right now and so i'm really like looking at the words people say to women and how thing, the dialogue changes when a woman is in the room or she's present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Can you Do you have any examples of things from Montana specifically? Have you, like, kind of painted the picture of the Montana stereotype? Or? Uh, like, I don't want to do that, yeah. to be honest. Um, that makes sense. Like, I'm not trying to take it from, like, 
people who are just saying things like it's more like I'm taking things that are directed towards me. Right. That's because I with my work, I'm okay with exploiting myself, mm-hmm. but I don't want to exploit someone else, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, that's how it was with my early photographs. I was doing self-portraiture and throughout my undergrad, my professors gave me so much freedom. I had the freedom to do literally whatever I wanted. Shout out to Sam Davis <laughs> at SUU. <laughs> but um, I... I was comfortable with exploiting myself and putting myself in like uncomfortable like situations yeah because it's more of like a performance art piece for myself at that point mm-hmm. but i was so uncomfortable doing that to other people and i don't know wh- why like even if my intention was like pure or good you know yeah well i mean it sounds like you're really observing what other people are saying like when they come into contact with you and mm-hmm. then you're kind of looking at what it is about you that is making this expression come out of them yeah in a way one theme i'm kind of picking up on is it sounds like your work is very Mm self-focused and it sounds like maybe it has a larger cultural application as well but i wanted to ask you can you kind of touch on your personal history and experiences that have really rooted themselves into your art Mm mm-hmm um well I have a very I come from a very conservative background um my parents are southern baptists and I grew up hopping around a bunch of other denominations within like the umbrella of Christianity yeah and um it we were so embedded in the church that like from a young age I wasn't allowed to like watch cartoon characters kiss like um so it affected in particularly like my sexuality Mm -hmm. and how I viewed myself and my relationships with like others romantically speaking and so i always fought, felt a lot of shame growing up around liking a person you know and it was it was an interesting oh it's very windy you guys can't see this but it is right now we are outside um and so that's shaped a lot of my work now so like i'm really interested in sex mm-hmm. because it's it's like the most natural thing to do and people have such a hard time talking about it mm-hmm. and it's especially the religious communities and so uh that that was probably like the one thing that was most like impactful growing up yeah and then i was also homeschooled and so that put me in a very sheltered position growing up um like, we didn't have a TV. We only watched movies, and they were, like, biblical movies. I mean, everything was controlled in my life growing up. And, like, the foods I ate were picked out for me. Like, there was a time when I couldn't, like, I had to ask my parents' permission to, like, have a snack if I was hungry. And, like, that continued until high school. And, like, my parents, even when I would say, like, can I have this snack in, like, high school, they would be, like, why are you why are you asking? I'm, like, I feel a constant need to, like, ask for your permission for mm-hmm. things. Because that's how it was growing up. And there was n- never a point when they, like, transitioned over to being, like, you can make dis- own decisions, if that makes sense. Yeah. And um, so that affected me, like, definitely socially and mentally. And then... My older sister was anorexic when I was nine. And so I saw from a young age, like, the implications of not being content with, like, oneself. Mm -hmm. And 
So I'm lucky in a sense where I did not grow up as a young woman, like, hating how I looked. I would never care about how much I weighed because I knew, like, what could happen Yeah. if I, like, obsessed over that. And, like, everyone in my family has kind of, like, obsessive tendencies um, to, like, latch on to one thing and, like, OCD, like, for sure, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so I'd never had that as a woman and so but i saw but i saw other people in my life have that and so like it was my older sister and then my mom like my mom had plastic surgery when i was like really young and that was really fundamental for me because here's a woman who's my mom and I care about her and I love her and I think she's a beautiful human being Mm -hmm. and she still chose to like alter these certain parts of her body that she didn't find likable to herself so like picking up on other people's and specifically your family members struggles Mm -hmm. with how they looked kind of helped you to realize that you don't need to go through that yeah but like now um I've been on my own for a couple years and now I'm like having those struggles again and like that not again because I didn't really experience those but I'm now experiencing those things Mm -hmm. it was like I had to reject everything that I had growing up in order to figure to like tell myself that I don't need these things to like feel beautiful so like I'm talking about like makeup and like doing your hair and like spending two hours in the morning before school to get ready right and that was that was like a weird turning point for me like I rejected all of that and I went like compute completely like natural like wouldn't do my hair wouldn't do my makeup you know nothing like that but now I'm like it's okay to like do those things Mm -hmm. like if they make you feel good you know yeah what led to that original shift though because you were doing your hair and your makeup and like spending a lot of time thinking about that so I lived with my parents until like my junior year of college Mm -hmm. and then I started taking self-portraiture in the nude Mm -hmm. and then I was kicked out of the house because of that because of that okay yes so that was that was the turning point for me I would say like mentally that questioned everything that I believed in because I was no longer accepted by the people that are supposed to accept you no matter what. Right. And it was all in the name of religion. And so I was left with like nothing. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to like strip all those perceived notions of what my life was going to be like and what I put my faith in Mm -hmm. and tore those down and like broke everything down so I could figure out what I wanted myself and like what I cared about the most. Yeah, that sounds like a really hard process. How did you do that? It was really (laughs) like I'm doing it now. Like, you know, I feel like I'm at the tail end of it, but it's been like two years and it was fucking hard. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was so difficult for me to 
move past like all that I've known mm-hmm. or all that I knew in life and um, figure out exactly what I wanted mm-hmm. and what I want out of life, which was so different from what like the cards, how the cards were dealt to me like before that mm-hmm. in my life. And I, I had control for once. And so, of course, I went to like the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of like appearance. And I was just like trying to be like, okay with how I looked yeah without these like additives right was that okay so i know you explore in your art it seems like motives or things that kind of change how someone thinks they should be in the world i guess like commercialization yes things like that um was that a process that was happening through your art before this incident happened where you left your family or i think it was slowly and I look back at everything and I'm like, if that didn't happen, like, would I be where I'm at, like, right now, mm-hmm. art making wise? And I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom told me, like, when all this was happening, she's like, I'd expect this in grad school, but I would not expect this now. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's weird that it was, like, okay to her if it was, like, in grad school, but because it was happening in my undergrad, it wasn't okay. Yeah. And, um, sorry, it's, it's really cold. You can take a minute and put that <laughs> I'm on. Gonna put yeah, no my jacket on. But, sorry, repeat your question. I'm a little scatterbrained. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> that's just my tendency. Um, I was kind of asking if looking at the influences on, like, your behavior and your character mm-hmm. were present before. Oh, yes. Before art, yes. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't know if they were. Like, to me... My art is so much more than stuff I'm creating. Right. It's almost like a lifestyle. Uh-huh. Like I am no longer a religious person, but I find like spirituality in it. Like uh-huh. there's a sense of peace I get when I make something mm-hmm. that's really hard to describe. And the way I'd, the only way I could describe it is from someone's position who's religious and they find peace when praying. Mm-hmm. So... I don't think I would have had those conclusions and like I wouldn't be where I am in my life and where I'm at with my identity and sexuality if it wasn't for art making. Yeah. It's almost like you detached from the religious part and then were able to more freely devote yourself to the art. Yeah, I would say so. Because I knew where I where my background was with religion like the religious institution that my family grew up in like wouldn't accept the art that I was making because mm-hmm. I make art about sex I make art about like periods and like f- like feminine sexuality very openly right and then like the language surrounding women so like that isn't necessarily up for discussion or open in those institutions yeah that's interesting I mean, it sounds almost regulatory of femininity in a way. Yeah. Would you talk a little bit about how you saw that institution affecting you? Um, well, in Utah, so I grew up in Utah, mm-hmm. um, not of the faith of the area. So the pre- predominant faith is LDS. LDS. And um, so I was a Southern Baptist there. And... So I was getting influences from both Mormonism and then, like, this small subculture 
within the subculture of America that is Mormonism. Okay. And so, um, like, within the Southern Baptist, like, community, there was never, like, any talk about, like, women, like, women's roles, mm-hmm. um, like, women having rights, like, in any way. It was just, like, a hush-hush thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, Mormonism, they were very, like, open about, like, what a woman's role was in life Mm -hmm. in the family in the community and so like one of my first jobs in my undergrad because i had a part-time job um (laughs) my boss had to step down and she told me it's because i i'm I'm quoting her she said i have to have more children that's expected of me and i have a condition that puts me literally in the bed like i'm on bed rest throughout the entire like length of the pregnancy oh wow and i was just like taken back by that yeah the fact that she had to give up a job she loved i know she she was so passionate about her job um to have more kids did it seem like she was upset about that it was like she found peace with it Mm -hmm. because she knew that was what she believed in right. and what she, how she chose to live her life. So I think she like took ownership of that. And I mean, like, I think that is really courageous because I think that's really hard to do. And I mean, she owned what she believed in. And I think like, I can't like speak negatively on that, you know, Yeah. if someone can really own what they believe because it's like so rare these days i would say and so i saw these different interpretations of like women's roles Mm -hmm. all the time and then oh gosh now thinking about that i guess like my my church did (laughs) like specifically talk about women's roles and like the youth group so like you can't make purple and which is women are red boys are blue you can't make purple that was like a lesson in your yes. church group and then like we'd go on an outing girls no tank tops and no shorts we go to a beach with the or like a pool with the youth group girls no bikinis two pieces of any kind yeah. We would prefer it if you wore a t-shirt and shorts. Okay. So taking... That was it. <laughs> <laughs> so taking nude self-portraits is like very related to pushing back against that. It yeah. It seems like. But I like at the time, so I don't relate it to that at okay, all. Okay. Okay. Um, I could see how a lot of people do and probably it probably was related to that. I'm just... Maybe deep down. Yeah, but, deep down. Yeah. I think it was, but... Um, I was, my first relationship, I was sexually assaulted and that was, so that was my first relationship out of high school because I never dated or anything like that in high school and I didn't know like what my boundaries were and I didn't know what a healthy relationship looked like. No one really told me that. Uh, I didn't really have a good judge of what it looked like to be in like a a healthy sexual relationship with Mm -hmm. someone and so for me um that was like taking ownership of my body again 
Okay. And that was something I couldn't tell my parents at the time. I couldn't face them with that, like, truth when they kicked me out. Like, they asked me why, and I, like, tried to explain it to them, like, in an artistic, creative-like way. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I was going for. And they were like, you're, like, selling yourself short. You're just doing this for, like, a shock factor type of deal. Mm. And... That was really, like, hurtful because, to me, it was solely about, like, taking control of my body again. Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry that happened to you. But I'm glad that you were able to, like, courageously push back against that. Yeah. I think that's something, like, it's obviously not okay. But I do think it's given me a voice that I didn't have before Mm -hmm. in terms of like my own sexuality and my openness with like talking about it. Yeah. And, um, I'm very open with like my life and uh, like, I'm okay. Yeah. So, well, it sounds like a dangerous thing too, to not be talking about that because, yeah, I mean, people shouldn't have to go through that experience Mm -hmm. to learn to think about what their sexuality and sexual boundaries means. Yeah. And so in a way, I mean, if you can do, is that your intention behind that art at all? Like trying to share that with other people or is it more of an expression of your personal experience? I, I consider my work like autobiographical Mm -hmm. um, because it is all derived from like my experiences and definitely from like the events that have happened in my life that have like led me to like where I'm at today. Cause they're very personal to me, mm-hmm. but then they sadly aren't. And so like my ultimate goal is to like create this work and have someone be like, like feel like they're not as alone. Yeah. Because I felt very alone and isolated like many others who like encounter those situations or have had those things happen to them and so i want to provide solace for those people like i want them to look at it and be like i'm gonna be okay Mm -hmm. you know um i would say that was mainly like my early stuff like now i'm definitely more geared towards like um looking at marketing and media as a tool of like constructing identity right but like my early work was definitely rooted in like um, menstruation and femininity and like coming to terms with oneself and like I'd say like my work is like an inquiry of femininity from like immaturity to maturity okay because like I feel like I grew up with my art Mm mm-hmm and so you could see that like if you lay it like everything out so like my first ones were like period photos because <laughs> i have endometriosis oh. like so many other women what is and, endometriosis um so it's where the lining of your uterus um doesn't shed properly let's just say okay and it creates scar tissue inside your uterus and it can actually travel all throughout your body and it causes extremely heavy painful periods and for the longest time i would bleed for 10 days straight oh wow and that's not normal (laughs) for those of you (laughs) listening um so that was discovered when um they removed my ovary with the tumor so like they 
I had a doctor who was like suspicious of it. He's like, I think this is the, a condition you have, but the only way to confirm that is like doing surgery and stuff because um, mm-hmm. you can't see in like an x-ray or anything like that. Oh, okay. Um, so I made work about that because I was so passionate about what was happening to me. And like, that's actually when like that woman at church said like, but can she still have children? You know, mm-hmm. like it was during then. And then after that, I was like coming to terms with what happened to me when I was 17, getting sexually assaulted. And then at the same time I was trying to find, um, some pain relief from like my menstrual cramps and um i had the hardest time getting a fucking iud oh yeah so an iud is like it's a birth control (laughs) and it was at the time like the only form of treatment for like endometriosis Uh and um my parents don't believe in insurance at the time and so i didn't have money to fork out 750 dollars to buy an iud right and so i was applying for these federal grants to pay for my IUD. I was like relying on the big man, which I hate to like give me something to like make it not as painful like every month when I am on my period. Yeah. And so I was just like, so like angry. Like, I'm like, I feel like I'm outside of my body. I can't control like what is happening to me. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've never really had control. And so that's when I did the nude self portraiture. Mm hmm. And so well, it kind of strikes me as odd that that was on you at like 16 or 17 when I don't know. I you guess have this, like is, this is early. So this was like 19. Okay. Just to clarify okay. for the audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but still with like a church community and things like that, applying for grants to the federal government. I mean, it does sound like you went through this experience pretty alone. Yeah, I, I was. And I was just so mad at the fact that like I was relying on essentially like men to pay for a device made by a man like men to subdue like female my like female organs Mm -hmm. so they could it could like ease the pain that I was experiencing Mm -hmm. so like I took these self-portraits in an unfinished basement in my house and I was looking at like the house as a man-made like womb because like men make houses to house women which make them into homes Mm -hmm. and so i was looking at like the correlation between that and then like how my uterus is housing something that's Mm man-made and so that's why i made the self-portraits and like they were very they weren't like explicit in terms of like the concept so it was like hard to read but like that was like my intention and that's why it was like really difficult for like my family to like understand like what those meant right and then like after that happened i was just like wow i really though did this like i was mad about all these things but i really did that because of like being sexually assaulted also like that's mainly why they're nude because i was just like fuck it i need to like feel some ownership of my body Mm mm-hmm because I feel like I have no control at all right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like a timeline and you're yes. dealing with like yeah, this. this stuff has, <laughs> that has appeared. And then where have you taken it after that? After that, um, 
After that, I made prints out of menstrual blood. <laughs> That's cool. How did you do that? <laughs> fucking awesome. Um, it was not awesome for SEU. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Southern Utah University. Yes, yeah, Southern Utah University. I'm sorry to put you, the art department, in such anguish because of me making menstrual blood photos. Was this an ordeal? <laughs> yes, it was. Um, so I collected it using like a menstrual disc because they're way more comfortable than menstrual cups, for those of you wondering about alternative menstrual products. Um, so I collected it, and then I'd like, I was on my period, obviously. So then I would, how a menstrual disc works is you can wear it for like up to 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So I take it out like morning, dump it in a little cup, save it, <laughs> and then do it again, like throughout the whole week. How much did you have to get? <laughs> I don't know. For your paintings? I just did a, I did oh. a lingerie. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. no, it's like way too scientific for me. Oh, okay. I was just like, let's see what happens if I do this. Okay. <laughs> and so um, it was in my alternative process class, okay. which we do like historic photographic processes. And so I was mm. using the gum bichromate printing process, which is basically you have like gum Arabic, which a lot of like painters use that substance. It's like a... It's like a honey consistency. Okay. Just visual for people. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it has potassium dichromate, which is a light sensitive chemical. So you mix that together and that's what will stick to a paper. And there's no pigment in that. So you can add whatever pigment you want to that process. And so I just went like, I just poured the blood in (laughs) straight blood. (laughs) So what does the pigment do? Um, So that's what adds the color in like the photograph. Okay. So you coat a paper with this um chemistry like Mm -hmm. concoction this solution and then um you place a negative on it and you expose it in sunlight okay and then you get a positive image out of that process okay and so people were very uncomfortable in class even though i like made sure i wasn't using tools that other people were using because when it gets blood people are squirmish about blood you know what were your other classmates <laughs> using well like, like it's like contrast. the like the beakers yeah. i'm like i didn't want to like mix the beakers yeah together you know i wanted like to keep it as sanitary as possible mm. but like everyone usually with that process you add like watercolor pigment mm-hmm. so it's like pink or purple like oh, okay. <laughs> and i was using blood <laughs> okay so um i did that and a lot of people particularly the women were very uncomfortable with that huh and so so much so that like the department chair got involved and then risk management got involved and then needless to say they had like a week's worth of meetings where menstrual blood was mentioned most multiple times so i had so many professors they're like they would message me they're like thank you this week's meeting was so fun because they mentioned menstrual blood so many times. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to put like biohazard stickers on like everything I was using. It was crazy. But like, it's just so weird. Like after that process, like that whole scenario happened, I like started looking at like bathrooms. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, there's feminine hygiene disposal containers in bathrooms and none of those have biohazard stickers on them yeah so i'm like so why is it that because i'm using it for art that i have to put a biohazard sticker on everything that i use yeah it's obviously not about the safety no and i had to work on stuff 
after hours. I couldn't work on stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Like during class. Oh, nobody could see it. Yeah. It was, it was just so, it was just too much for people, you know? And I mean, like I get squirmish with blood, but I don't with menstrual blood, obviously. I collected my own mm-hmm. and I didn't pass out ever because of that. But did you, it, like, it so did weird. you think about this maybe happening before you decided to no. do that? No. I was just like, I want to make photos with my blood. Because <laughs> I was like, I was just very like, you know, I would say like, this is when I was like, I'm a feminist. <laughs> and taking like ownership of that, you know, and exploring like my own body and like figuring out like, okay, like this happens to me every month. And like, I dispose of this material that's coming out of me and I'm like what does it actually look like Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and it looks really cool in prints um but I saw them they're they're pretty cool yeah they they've changed over time so they're no longer like as vibrant they were like really yellow I think that was and like they had a lot of like coagulated blood Mm. like in different areas but now they're more like a they're almost like a weird like sage green tint oh whoa it's weird. I I love that they change over time, though. Mm-hmm. I think it's fucking awesome. But um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Do you own them all still? Yeah, I don't know if I like would sell those. Yeah. Or like I would, but like I'd have to keep one because I'm like this is my DNA. Like it's a part of me. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Like oh I yeah, want somebody one. could get it and clone you or something. <laughs> I know. Who knows? Make a sex robot out of me. I don't oh, know. No. That'd yeah, be that's cool. probably very possible. <laughs> well, probably will not. Now that you're voices on the internet you might be the robotic end of a sex phone line yes <laughs> hilarious i think it'd be so funny i mean like they do like um vr porn mm-hmm. you know like you can make your could watch yourself have sex with that it's fucking weird <laughs> yeah, weird wearing a mask yeah watching porn strange that's a whole that's that'll come in my timeline so then there was that and then um I wanted to like branch out Mm -hmm. and not really make like as personal work after that. And so um, I was really, I've always been interested in like the phenomenon of like middle school girls wearing Victoria's Secret Mm -hmm. clothes. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is fucking bizarre. (laughs) Like, why is this happening? You know, like it's like this store makes sex clothes you know like they're like lingerie is made to like seduce you know it's very sexual and i'm like why are these like teen girls most of them probably haven't even started their period yet and they're wearing these clothes i'm Mm -hmm. like do they even know like what they're wearing you know like it's just like a logo of course it's like the pink you know so it's like the teen girl side of it but i really wanted to like do research based art after that Mm-hmm. And so I started like researching um, marketing geared towards um, adolescent like women. And so um, Victoria's Secret is very outspoken with the fact that they gear the m- most of their advertisements to um, like pre-pubescent like girls. Really? Yes. Like the Whoa. oldest they'll go is like maybe like 15. Wow. It's like 12 no 11 to like 15 that's like mainly their like market and i was like that is crazy (laughs) to me and so i had um i asked for 
a family member's underwear because I knew that they they were an adolescent girl who wore only Victoria's Secret. Mm-hmm. So I was like, can I photograph these panties? And so I photographed them and I printed them to life size. And they're small. They're fucking small because they're extra small. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so tiny. Like, it's crazy to me that a company will make very explicit you know underwear that's like that size you know it's just so like i'm small though so i mean like it's just weird to it's like a weird thing to like visualize and see what if you're not seeing like the real physical panty in front of you and you're seeing like a two-dimensional photograph of it Mm -hmm. on the wall and so i made those out of makeup pigment and fiberglass insulation okay and so my insulation i wanted people to be very i wanted like a reaction from like the viewer while looking at it mm-hmm. so at this time this was after i had come back from a trip to spain to see a show that i had there mm-hmm. um the the school i was attending was gracious enough to like be like why don't you go and cool. so they like <laughs> sent me there to see like the opening which was fucking awesome but cool. um i've never i never experienced like a real contemporary art museum mm-hmm. until that point point. and so i we went to macba which is the contemporary art museum in barcelona and they had doris salcedo and she's a colombian artist and her piece i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher this name Atrebiliarios, uh was on display Maybe you could put it in the comments so people okay. can look it up. Yeah, no, that would be good. Um, but it was so it's these shoes of um victims of violence in Colombia. They're these like shoes that women so like women go missing in Colombia like all the time mm-hmm. in outrageous numbers. Like the statistics are fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. And they so she went to the family members and asked them if she could ha- use their shoes that they left behind um so she got um with the family's permission like these shoes from the victims and she embedded them in the gallery wall so they were flush with the wall and like on top of them was vellum so it's like lambskin or it's right sheepskin it's not like a baby lamb <laughs> i don't know why i said that but it's like animal skin um covering them and so it's like a ghost image of them these shoes that are embedded in the wall and i was like so taken back by seeing that visual yeah because it was so visceral Mm -hmm. and beautiful and i was like why am i attracted to this Mm -hmm. you know and then like the presence that it had in the room because it was the only there was like probably like six shoes all in a line on the wall Mm mm-hmm and i was just staring at it and i was just like the it's a two essentially it's been turned into like a two-dimensional artwork because it's embedded in the wall so right flush with the wall and i was like the presence these had were like amazing to me Mm -hmm. like haunting yes it was and i was like i need to make something like that Mm -hmm. i need to grasp the senses in a way that like a three-dimensional piece can Mm -hmm. because like everyone like feels a presence of like a three-dimensional piece of artwork right because it's like obviously in the room like it's more tangible Mm -hmm. than like a two-dimensional picture on the wall and so 
that's what like inspired me to put the fiberglass insulation in it because I'm like people react a certain way to the fiberglass so not only are you seeing these panties that are tiny on the wall that are bright pink so you love the way like they're so vivid you know Mm -hmm. they're like beautiful but then they're also made out of something so itchy and like visceral and it makes i want people to be uncomfortable looking at them right because it's uncomfortable like these are the underwear of like a 15 year old girl Mm -hmm. and like they're thong there's thongs they're lacy they're like seductive and they're all of that brand Mm -hmm. and so that's what i did for my like bfa thesis show and along with that i started compiling a list of words that um not words they were um titles of makeup products that were on the market yeah and so i it all started with me like using makeup pigment to make the images and my professor was like he turned over the makeup packet that i had that was taking the pigment from and he's like candlestick glow Mm -hmm. it's like why he's like have you like read the names of your makeup products i was like no he's like it's kind of fucked up (laughs) like of course it's a candlestick because it's associated with the home you know and it's like it's just so like really like why can't it just be like sparkly pink you know (laughs) (laughs) something like that i I mean as a creative i understand you want to like take creative initiative in your names but that sparked me like on literally a journey for like the next like year year and a half like it's continued now like of me like searching all the mainstream makeup companies for Mm -hmm. titles so i was taking any anything that referred to women um as like in the home you know like confection cuties talking about baking or like fuck me fire truck which is a color of red that you can buy (laughs) and then there's it's like why can't i think of more there's like lusty rose like why why does it yeah yeah i was looking at some of them and then like dsl which means dick sucking lips (laughs) like so and then i was like doing research of this and then i started researching the madonna whore complex which is basically society pegs women into two categories they're either perceived as the madonna so like an angelic virgin figure or a whore Mm -hmm. and so i was seeing those commonalities in these makeup titles so there's over 250 that explore this phenomenon in the makeup industry right now and so i put those alongside the panties because overall i wanted there to be a connection between the use of marketing and media as constructing identity from such a young age Mm -hmm. because i mean these are like makeup products that like middle school girls were wearing what i was wearing in middle school right and i'm like now looking back i was like that's so offensive to me Mm -hmm. like to put some of those names of like makeup titles like on my face and not knowing what those meant right like how does that perceive like our identity and our sexuality as we like grow into it Mm mm-hmm but like my goal was never to you know make like a statement to like stop people from doing like doing this i just want people to like take a moment look at what you're like of the look at the title of the makeup you're putting on your face does it empower you or does it make you feel 
like belittled and like you aren't respected yeah what's the functionality of it because it's not it's not telling you the color no it's not it's not like at all but i mean like some of them like now like i'm like a very like open like sexually person and so like some of those i'm like oh that's fucking right you know like some of the names Mm -hmm. and like but at the same time i'm like it's it's just a weird area and i just want people to be like aware of that Mm -hmm. like these phenomenons are happening and so like take it as you want but I just want to give people the information and then they can go with it like as they want. Right. Yeah. And it's, a, it's hard to know how to interpret all of that. Like yeah. the fact that Victoria's secret is advertising to 14 and 50 or 15 year olds. And then there's just like this mass produced like pornographic names for makeup. Yeah. And didn't, didn't you have trouble putting that into an art show or you? Yes. To- so they had to put warning labels um, well, they w- I guess they were because it got shut down because of quarantine. Like oh. Coronavirus stuff right. or COVID-19, I should say. And um, that's unfortunate. But, I mean, the fact that they, like, had to censor – not censor, but they had to strategically place it in the gallery so, like, little kid like, tour groups could, like, avoid it. And I'm like, these are things that you can buy at, like, Ulta, Sephora, Walmart, like, any main – stream like beauty supply store you can find these names all you have to do is pick them up Mm -hmm. and so i just think it's funny because once it's taken out of the context of like a makeup product then it's like offensive you know like i had people they're like that's super offensive language i'm like i know they're like why would you say that i'm like i'm not saying that that's the title of certain makeup products right yeah i don't know it's it's hard to know where to draw the line too because you could I mean, I could imagine certain religious communities taking a message like this and using it to, yeah. like, for the same effect of kind uh-huh. of controlling young women. Yeah. And But at the same time, there's these marketing companies that are putting so much money into, like, capitalizing mm-hmm. off of these stereotypes. But it's really weird because, so, like, in Utah, at one point, they had the highest plastic surgery rate. Really? In Whoa. the country. Hmm. And that's their their stereotype and their what they are is a very conservative state Mm -hmm. and so like they have a they are embedded in like religion Mm -hmm. and so you wouldn't think that these people where in the bible it says like for women to not adorn themselves with jewels and like makeup essentially to be adorning themselves with these products and to altering their body when it does not say to do that and in the Bible, it says the opposite of that. Right. So, like, that was so bizarre for me growing up. And, like, that project was personal to me because, um, like, I did receive very, like, very pretty and lacy and small underwear at a very young age. But then at the same time, I was, like, I was also told, you need to save your first kiss until marriage there's no way in hell basically you should ever think about anyone seeing you naked or doing anything sexual mm-hmm. remember my mom being like what are you doing when i was scratching my boob she's like you're not allowed to touch yourself Whoa. so like that it's so confusing mm-hmm. like as a kid yeah it's just so much there's so much contradiction in it and uh, i 
I just want people, especially if they have kids, to, like, realize that these things, like, do impact them, right. like, in the long term, you know? And just to be more aware of your surroundings and, like, what you're putting on and, like, what you're, like, does it make you feel better or not, you know? Yeah. No, that's a big, that's a big thing just being mind i talked with my friend blake about yeah almost this exact uh-huh. same thing is like yeah being aware of how something makes you feel like actually makes you feel yeah and then just being mindful of the things that you're consuming whether that's makeup or what people are telling you yeah or movies for sure and i mean like we have a very consumer driven culture mm-hmm. and we're just always like find the new like latest thing the hottest thing the hottest trend you know like what are all the pe- like makeup stars on instagram like wearing what are they sponsoring you know mm-hmm. and it's like yeah those seem like great products but like it's kind of fucked up with like the marketing department to be like yes yeah. let's okay this <laughs> like right you're taking like this very small i like idea of what someone can be and then basically putting out there as a blanket statement and encouraging everyone to do the same thing yeah it well it leads me like that led me to like my next project which is like still a continuing project where i'm looking at the infantilization of like western culture and society Mm. and that for your the listeners that don't know that's basically treating an adult as if they're an infant Mm -hmm. and not giving them the chances to like reach full maturity yeah and um it's basically like basically treating an adult like they're a child (laughs) um it's used a lot in marketing tactics so like think of like mickey mouse or like the geico gecko or like um the fact that like we but like the fact that las vegas is like the super sexual place but like they have a casino that's like a castle mm-hmm. in like the old west you know like these like fantasy driven like toys basically to right. um, or like ploys to market to towards adults because they're like they're touching on that nostalgia you know the sense that like when you're a kid like you feel like completely free mm-hmm. so like they're trying to use that in marketing yeah We've had this conversation yeah. a little bit before, but what I'm thinking right now is where I'm most familiar with what might be infantilization is mm-hmm. looking at media and how things are presented to people. And then there's a big contrast between things like podcasts mm-hmm. and things like TV news and yeah. that things in traditional sources of media are delivered to you in bite-sized chunks that yes. you digest and you really don't have to think about it whatsoever. It's mm-hmm. just like this is this is the story, this is how you should think about They're it. They're dictating those choices for you, right? essentially. And, it, and in that, and maybe through advertising and things like that, it seems like it's just, it's breaking people down into very basic, like almost averaging people out. I, I mean, I wonder if it's like a result of doing stats on populations and yeah, being like, what's probably. the general trend here? Oh, okay, so people like this exciting color, and then putting that out there, or people... Mm-hmm like air quotes to have their information delivered to them in an easy context Mm -hmm. and so then just using that assumption to market or deliver information to a bunch of people leaves a lot of I mean there's a lot of questions out there as 
like, is that the best way we can be doing that? Does that encourage healthy habits? I mean, and what are the externalities or negative results Mm -hmm. on people that don't really get to learn things about their sexual identity or other things because it's just not talked about. It's not part of what's fed to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's true. It's like a, it's a, it is like a rabbit hole. Like Mm -hmm. if you research it, because they do like the same people who study the infantilization also look at um, like therapy culture and like how our culture now is like taking ownership of like childhood traumas and they kind of exploit that in their like studies which I don't necessarily agree with like I'm I'm really interested in how that has crossed over into the sex industry Hmm. so the fact that like hentai and cartoon porn are like in the top 10 categories hentai is number one right now on Pornhub for like the most watched porn Mm -hmm. and then the fact that we call sex toys sex toys that's bizarre because they're made for adults you know right you have to be over the age of 18 to like purchase one you know and like that's weird that we call them these toys that that we call them toys and then they're like there's hello kitty vibrators there's toy like actual like squeaky toy looking vibrators you know and so it like goes into this like back to like nostalgia and the form of like escapism like that's like what the sex industry is but I find that so weird because I like growing into my sexuality like I look very young I am 22 years old and I definitely can pass as like a high schooler (laughs) like and that was problematic growing into my sexuality because I was never told like oh you're sexy like you're hot like you're always like cute Mm -hmm. like little like people were like oh I love your like cheeks you're so cute and I'm like that's nice (laughs) because i'm like i'm a sexual being you know like i've i'm in like a relationship and like yeah like we have sex like we're sexual like it's like a normal thing but i was always told and perceived as it was like so like shameful like how young i looked like it made me so embarrassed about how i looked and i felt like so uncomfortable like in bed because huh. like I was like I'm not like a I don't know how to be like sexual then because I was right. always perceived and treated like I was so young and that's only the only thing that came up was yeah. like that that image of yourself yeah from other like that's how I viewed myself essentially is because yeah. like that's what like the comments people said to me like I took personally and that's how I viewed myself and so I like thought that was so bad and then I see like this phenomenon happening in like the sex industry and it's like oh like teen girl porn is huge it's always been huge from like the beginning of the internet Mm -hmm. and then like this daddy culture you know with the sugar sugar daddies sugar babies you know Mm -hmm. like it's another form of like infantilizing women and it's like a fetish you know right and so i was like oh there's like power in that Mm -hmm. like that's strange and so like I'm looking at trying to like create work that's like about that now. That's where I see like my next like photographic type of work to like go into because it's like a weird thing I haven't sorted out. And so like my whole work is just like an inquiry of everything. Like I'm yeah. just del- delving into like all these different like aspects that interest me. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting to me too. And 
one common theme that I think is interesting is it's really hard to know where to draw the line between these things. You're like pulling these things Mm -hmm. out that nobody's talked about. And so it's hard to say is a sex toy that looks like Hello Kitty. Is that like sexual regulation by commercialization or is that sexual freedom? Uh Uh-huh. And yeah, it's really, it's weird. And I mean, like, I don't want to dictate like what people can and can't be into, but like, I'm just super like curious of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's like giving me power though. Like I've, like in my own in my own self image i'm like now looking at myself like okay i can be like sexy and still like look like young you know mm-hmm. and like i don't have like large breasts and i you know like these indicators these physical indicators of like a mature woman like i do not have and so i'm like coming to terms with those you know and mm-hmm. so it's just i'm trying to figure out how i can work that into like art making for like something else i don't know it's just something i'm interested in yeah i think it's really cool that you've like gone on this journey of exploring yourself and that you've also put it out there where other people can look at it and maybe really relate that to their own journey Mm -hmm. you touched on this is something that you want parents to know about this is something that you've like it seems like essential that you found out about your sexuality and things Mm -hmm. like that what kind of recommendations would you have for people that are maybe on the verge of exploring their sexuality or haven't before? Um, like get curious. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay to be like curious of things and like yeah. look into things, you know? Um, we're like more open with like sexual orientation, like now than ever before. Yeah. And I'm like, it's okay, you know, to like look into things if you're just like at all interested in them, you know, you mm-hmm. should not feel like, ashamed for like wanting pleasure in your life because i'm like life's so short like why not fucking enjoy it you know like that's so like crazy to me that people get these like societal norms and like religious norms like in the way of them like living happy Mm -hmm. like lives and so i don't i don't know because like i don't really have like a like a really good like advice to give other than like be curious yeah be curious and then that extends not only to like how you feel about certain things but like the functionality of makeup names and things like that question everything question everything is it the sci-fi network that says that (laughs) (laughs) i don't know they're like slow one tv network slogan is like question everything (laughs) the motto of our podcast today is brought to you by (laughs) sci-fi yes um another thing that i wanted to ask you about because it seems different than a lot of your art was your interest with artificial landscapes oh yes yeah do you want to talk about that a little bit um that was like so long ago but it does like it's relevant though okay so (laughs) i did like a series where i was taking man-made landscapes and making them look like they were natural landscapes okay like things landscapes you would find like in nature unscathed by like human contact so for example i was given permission to go on a quarry site and i took photos of the area and in a way that made them look like a naturally occurring sand dune Mm -hmm. and so i would say that was like the start of me like looking at photography and like a different way like i don't have to just take a picture of something that's pretty that like 
that's in nature mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like that's fine if you do that if you find joy in that that's great but I wasn't finding joy in that like you know I was like I want more and so I like always thought these things were weird to me because I grew up with my dad um working on construction sites and so construction sites and equipment was all around me growing up as a kid but then I also lived in southern Utah where the landscape is pristine and in some areas I guess (laughs) but like there's a lot of national parks in Utah and so there's this like epitome of like the sublime in nature but then in my backyard is like all this construction equipment and like rebar and stuff like that Mm -hmm. like everywhere so it's like I was surrounded by this like beautiful nature but then surrounded by like grit and metal essentially Mm -hmm. and so like that's where I was like playing on with those but I do think like it's my interest has gone outside of like the artificial landscape and more into like artificial beings yeah specifically like with porn um I have like a weird relationship to porn because I like we're getting open (laughs) 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 yeah I guess that's true (laughs) we've been very open um like I didn't masturbate until I was like 20 21 okay and I never even thought about it right and like I listen to podcasts I listen to a lot of sex podcasts now and they'll have people come on they're like yeah I never like masturbated until I was like you know like 25 but then I, you know, as a kid, I would, like, rub up on stuff, you know, <laughs> like, whatever. I was like, I didn't do that as a kid. Like, I never did because I thought it was so bad. Really? Like, to touch yourself in any way. And so, that has, because I developed my sexuality outside of, like, using porn as my only learning tool, which was so common mm-hmm. and is still common, Pornhub is, like, the only sexual education a lot of people get. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's sad (laughs) that's terrible and um so I was never like sexually attracted to porn Mm -hmm. and so I was like what is this thing and I started making like work with sex toys and like the nude figure and my professor's like I don't mean to be weird but because of the work you're making you should probably research porn because you're touching base on this without really knowing like the social context around it Uh and so I was like okay so I started like researching it just purely research Mm -hmm. and that's where like I'm at in terms of like artificial like landscape has it's come over to like artificial cam girls and like sex robots that are like so lifelike it's crazy and like you can pay to have a companion that looks like your version of the ideal woman or man. A robot? Yeah. And it's crazy. You can buy it for like eight grand. How much do they talk to you? Um, I think one will like actually have conversations with you. Like the highest like model. Okay. But like the highest model also has like pulsating stimulation. Yeah. So like essentially oh, it's wow. like her body's like a huge vibrator. Okay. So, like, (laughs) (laughs) you could just, you you know, you, it's just so bizarre to me. And then, like, the, like, one of, like, the rising cam girls is an AI girl that was made by a guy. Really? Yeah. It's, like, is it, it's not a robot. It's, like, a. It's, like, 
a virtual reality like right okay like i'm, I'm not like tech illiterate like literate in any way so i'm <laughs> sorry if i mess this up for people who are like way more tech savvy than me but like that's where i'm like seeing like man-made women now mm -hmm. and like i'm super like sex positive but what's sex positive like i'm i understand there's like fetishes that people might find uncomfortable like some mm -hmm. people find like the bdsm community like really uncomfortable and i'm like i th that's okay mm -hmm. you know and like in an envi safe environment where there's consent on both sides and everyone's aware of like what's going to happen mm -hmm. i'm like you do you mm -hmm. you know if that's what you're into that's what you're into right. you know but it is w weird that like men are making like recreating like their ideal woman now yeah no that's really interesting even in the context of people are able to create things that have a lot of influence like if you're creating a partner who's going to be living with you yeah. like whoever makes your wife or yeah. your like sex slave or whatever it is that you're taking <laughs> yeah. into your house um <laughs> Just like the coding behind that or what is underneath this thing's personality or mm -hmm. how it behaves to you and then how that affects you is a big deal. Yes. And <laughs> it's really probably going to be important to understand how that affects us. Yeah. Well, my thing is like once you remove like the human aspect of it, mm -hmm. like how will that dictate like how people treat that doll like with that mm -hmm. thing essentially like there's already sex toy brothels mm -hmm. in canada the one in utah in the u.s got i almost said utah it was in texas got like shut down shut down but there is some in there's a couple in japan and they've i've read like stories of like the workers there and they say like it's crazy the things that like people will do to these dolls because it's not a human mm -hmm. like it almost gives them an agency to do whatever the hell they want because they don't have to own up to those actions with a real human being. Right. So I'm like, ultimately down the line, like how does that dictate how men or like women, anyone in general treats a sex worker right? or even a partner? Yeah. Well, it's like video games. And then you're talking, you're talking about hentai too. And my, th the thought that, popped into my head when you said that hentai is the most popular porn is well that kind of makes sense because you yeah. can do things to a cartoon that mm -hmm. you can't do to a person yeah and so i know like where you're kind of getting uh -huh. like with like the violent aspect of games right like a lot of people like there's a there's a huge controversy when like uh like grand theft auto like first came out you know yeah. and like these young kids were me you know were playing it but then they realized like this isn't actually like bad you know like it doesn't directly correlate to like them making bad choices you right. know like playing video games i've looked up that research multiple times and it's like really fishy both ways but oh it I is okay i think that the i should probably look this up and then put this in the intro but i think that the conclusion is that it actually does have a small behavioral effect on like aggressive behavior i am not shocked by that <laughs> I was always told, like, by my guy friends, you know, when we would have conversations, like, they're like, it's not, there's been statistics, you know, and, like, mm -hmm. 
I looked at it like forever ago, so I haven't looked at it recently. So like that to me like makes perfect sense. So like if that's already going to happen, like what happens like when desire and sexual tendency mm-hmm. comes into play, you know? Mm-hmm. But then we've also talked about like using it for therapy, I know before, like you and I. Right. I mean, we specifically talked about for people that have tendencies towards pedophilia, mm-hmm. like the moral question of using sex robots or animated mm-hmm. child porn, really rough subject. Yeah. But I mean, if that ended up in there being a net decrease in assaults to actual children, mm-hmm. is that a good thing? Should we do that? Yeah. Or should we like at least not regulate it? I don't know. That question uh, is from Sam Harris. So thanks, Sam. <laughs> but like, the, I like brought it up mainly f- because like, I don't want people to think like, I'm just like saying like, this is yeah. bad, you know, like no, I hear you. there's ways that it can be used for good, mm-hmm. but I'm just curious in terms of like a female, like that kind of worries me, you know, if like, we're already trying to like push for consent, you know? Right. Um, especially like after the me too movement and so i'm like will this digress us more or will this help us move and progress yeah well okay two things coming up for me right there one is like as a male i wouldn't want young boys to be i would i don't want them to like have things that are accentuating their aggressive behavior and especially Mm -hmm. when it comes towards other people and so I mean, yeah, what's the net benefit on everybody? I mean, because encouraging men to be abusive to women or just, like, regulatory of women Mm -hmm. doesn't seem like a very positive direction for either men or women. And then there's a direction, right? And there's obviously a movement for women in particular because it wasn't until early 1900s that women could vote mm-hmm. and then i remember writing some essay in my Not english all class women, i'd like to point out which is crazy right not oh. surprising sounding yeah. okay yeah. what do you mean by that um still like women of color like couldn't it was mainly like a white women's really yeah oh whoa even the sexual revolution and like um women's rights in like the 60s it right. was mainly like a white woman's power empowerment it wasn't really oh interesting yeah look it up i did not know that or watch fx is miss america mrs america it's really good i might have to watch that. yeah do it it's just fun sh- show to watch it's a fun show to watch and it adds like good context for like people to understand like what was going on like during that time okay with a little more clarity it is a drama though <laughs> i might have went <laughs> it is not 100 percent like factual okay <laughs> um well, and then in the 70s, it wasn't until the 70s that marital rape was outlawed. And so there's this very obvious journey, which strangely, question mark, hasn't really come up until like the 80s, 90s, 2000s, mm-hmm. that women are able to express themselves. And while I was reading the piece that you um, asked me to read, the grotesque in oh, yeah. contemporary artists. I'll I put guess this we didn't even really <laughs> dodge on that. No, <laughs> so much. no, that's okay. Uh, 
I'll put the link in the in the notes. Anyway, one of the questions that came up for me is, do you think that these questions that came up for you while you were growing up that weren't talked about, like nobody talks about femininity, nobody told you, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but there was a lot of stuff yeah. that you had to learn about your body yeah. and about like your role in society and how you would come off to other people and how you should come off to other people mm -hmm. and like what you should do to dress yourself and all these things. And it just got me thinking, is the feminist movement that we're seeing nowadays occurring because there just hasn't been a platform for this to occur before? Like everything has just been suppressed until this point. And then also, is feminism something that, like, do you think that women in general, I mean, I'm kind of coming up with the answer in my head right now because okay. I don't think men in general know what the fuck they're supposed to do with themselves. But okay. I mean, it just seems like this is... They should. Th they should. And it seems like it's a very underdeveloped part of our culture. I think like feminism now isn't really just about women. It's like, like the patriarchy has hurt men so much as well. Mm -hmm. Like men feel they can't have emotions like and that like i can't imagine living that way i can't mm -hmm. at all like i don't know how that feels in like mentally to like be told that from like so, or so early on that you cannot be vulnerable in any way right and so i think like are you like asking like what feminism is to me like right now or well i guess sorry i, I diverted. just no 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 <laughs> you're not diverting it's all very kind of abstract right now but I'm I guess I'm asking where you think it's going and if you think that is feminism trying to express something that's already there or is it trying to come up with answers as we go oh god I think a lot of the issues and a lot of the like what is it called like taboo subjects that are now being like brought up have happened forever mm -hmm. like so I was talking to my friend in the car about this, like about, I'm like, I wonder if there's a segment of like women that have never experienced an orgasm because mm -hmm. it was not in their culture, you know? And I hear so many like podcasts and like interviews of like women saying like, you know, they didn't orgasm until like so late in their life, but like they felt like they still like masturbated, you know, when they were young. But yeah. I'm like, okay, so, like, people can masturbate, but they don't always have to, like, finish. So, like, I'm just, like, so I think, okay, let me start over. Sorry. I'm, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really bad. No, don't. Because <laughs> um, I just talked about my, to my friend this morning when I was going to buy groceries <laughs> about this. And um, we were just talking about how, is that a phenomenon that's, like, happened like has like women orgasming been something that's been going on forever yeah or not and like i don't think we'll really know well i would i would just put in from probably an evolutionary standpoint that because the orgasm is possible it's probably been yeah. happening but do you think that many people experienced it though yeah um, i think like maybe like early on because that was like our primal like instinct you know mm -hmm. was to reproduce and do like we were fucking horny probably you know yeah. like that's all we cared about was food and sex and shelter i guess <laughs> but like as technology advanced and then we started asserting like gender roles mm -hmm. like that started to like not matter as much you know like 
in the Puritan times, like, chastity belts were a thing. Like, w- like so yeah. popular, you know? And, like, yeah. th- during that time, it was so important to, like, suppress how many times you had sex. Because yeah. its only intention was to, like, m- reproduce. Yeah, it's calm, It's almost an unanswerable question. Yeah, I have heard uh, evolutionary psychologists talk about um, what makes a male a good sexual partner. And... I I can't remember. I think they were talking about genital size and the fact that males have like relatively large genitals compared to other animals mm-hmm. is an indicator that our ability to please the female is a cha- selective over time. Um yeah, a a pressure like a selective pressure and so males for oh. with the ability to please a female sexually has been selected yeah. for and obviously like we do have the patriarchy and it's an interesting question to kind of ask when when that came to be and how much power it's had over people's sexuality and specifically women's sexuality but it's also i think important to acknowledge i don't know it's it's just interesting because all of this is also occurring in line with evolutionary history yeah. and i mean the great the feminine power is selection and i mean obviously that's not always yeah. what happens but yeah that I was kind of th- go ahead i don't think there's an answer to your question though i think no. that's what we've like <laughs> no, discovered th- on that rant <laughs> I, like i don't have an answer to that because i'm like i don't know but there's a lot of good tangents to go yeah down. i think like yeah we just threw in some stuff for people to think about to mm-hmm. agree or disagree i don't care mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. uh i'm not rooted in either yeah i'm like Feminism itself is a, it's a heavy subject. Yeah. Because it brings about a lot of hate and a lot of empowerment at the same time. Yeah. And well, I think it all just depends on the person, like how they interpret that. Right, and how they can take criticism of, and how they can critique themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the sad things I learned in my social psychology class is that like, once you learn a stereotype, that's always going to come up for you like the science says that that stereotype doesn't decrease you can inhibit your behavior Mm -hmm. acting on that stereotype but i mean if you're talking about feminism i imagine it's probably pretty hard for some people to talk about it especially if it just brings up a host of questions about how they've been living their lives or how they've Mm -hmm. been thinking about things so i mean i grew up with the thought of like feminism being terrible being bad like I grew up with my parents totally discouraging like any form of feminism or considering yourself a feminist was the worst thing to do Mm -hmm. and I definitely I I definitely had the same views of, of my parents until like sophomore year of college yeah like probably more beginning of junior year that was when I like realized that I don't actually agree with this stuff and I mean everyone's subject to like evolve and change and I hope at least by like listening to this podcast that some people like they like think about things more and maybe like if even if you don't agree with it like just being like a little more open like minded right and transparent about things yeah I think that's a really good message. And then, I mean, from where I'm looking, kind of the answer to the 
bigger feminism question is you're kind of embodying it, that in that it's a personal journey, right? And mm -hmm. it's kind of like figuring yourself out. Yeah. In the context of being in a culture and like being with these different ideas and thinking about how they relate to you and how they should affect your life. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, thank you for being on the podcast, Kelly. Thanks, this was David. fun. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to check out Kelly's work on her Instagram or at her website. I'll put links for that in the episode notes. I'll also provide a link for Cowboy Roasting Co. so you can buy some delicious coffee. Don't forget to tell them that we sent you. Don't forget to share the love, like, subscribe, all the good things. That's all for today, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Take care out there. Thank you.